I realized that when somebody presented it to me and said, okay, HR, here's this company, help integrate them. After the deal was done, it was about a hundred times harder than if you were involved from pre-deal and from evaluating the company. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. In this episode, I'm speaking with Alexis Dower, the Global Head of Human Resources at ISS. Alexis has a very diverse work history, which has allowed her to climb to the top and excel in her current role. What do you say we dive right in? Alexis Dower, although I got to tell you, it's so hard for me to say Dower since I know you as O'Connor. And every time I go to call you, I originally go to O'Connor. So uh, it's still, I don't know how many years, but it's still having trouble getting used to that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited. We have so much to talk about. I've got lots and lots of questions in a short period of time. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to get rolling. Sounds great. Awesome. So if you don't mind just edifying the audience and just giving a, a quick synopsis of the role that you have and your background in general. And then what I'm going to do is just kind of hit you with a couple of like rapid fire questions to let everybody get to know you a little bit better on a personal front. And then from there, we're going to start getting into the nitty gritty. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a great plan. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> You're welcome. So my role is I am the Global Head of Human Resources at ISS. ISS stands for Institutional Shareholder Services. And ISS was actually founded back in 1985. So it's been around for a long time, known for proxy voting, um, but we've grown and we empower investors and companies to build for long-term and sustainable growth by providing high quality data analytics and insight. We have over 2,000 or almost 2,000 employees, I, I should say, over across like 35 offices. And the only thing I wanted to preface today's podcast is just by mentioning I'm not representing ISS directly when I share my comments today in this podcast. I'm more so representing myself and my role of HR, but my comments aren't related to any HR policy-related issues tied to ISS's proxy voting guidelines. And the reason I just mentioned that is because a lot of people do look to us for guidance in many ways within the corporate governance space. And I just wanted those listening to know these are just my own comments. That's a great point. And I'm glad you bring that up because there's so many things in the HR world that you are responsible for. And 
your organization in general. And it's great that you just kind of highlighted that. So thank you for doing that. Alexis, do you mind just giving us a quick background on kind of how you got to where you are? Sure. My husband would laugh when he heard you say quick background because he'll say, never tell a quick story. (laughs) But I'll, I'll, I'll keep it brief. So I studied industrial and labor relations actually at Cornell University. And the reason I studied it was because I thought I wanted to go into politics or law. It seemed exciting. And my father was a lawyer, so I was kind of following down that path. Even in high school, I interned for our town supervisor and got to get involved a little bit in in seeing how politics work. And while I was in college, I even went to did an internship in Washington, D.C. and interned for Senator Frank Lautenberg at the time, the former senator of New Jersey. And it was a fabulous experience. I loved everything about it. But as I returned to school and started to think about my future that senior year, I realized whether it was politics or law, there was a lot more schooling that had to happen. And having been out and been in the real world, I bit the bug of working, actually. And I just loved working and making an impact and putting what I learned to use. So I had taken some organizational behavior classes. There'd be a lot less studying there than going into law. And so I went down that path into HR. And in HR, I went to a few larger companies. I actually did labor at a power company in Virginia and then had some other stints in recruiting and and generalists, kind of my own little training path around some larger firms, actually. And I was looking for a home. And I found a home at a company called Risk Metrics Group. And this was probably, I think, in about 02. And I was the 100th employee at the time, more or less, and it was a smaller environment, but I really saw the people that I met there seemed great and the opportunity to really make a mark. And really, that's kind of something I've always followed since then, because I realized wherever I can make a difference was what was feeling good. And it probably went back to those political aspirations of making a difference somehow and helping people. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what's guided me. And I was at Risk Metrics for a number of years. And then during that, we acquired ISS. We were about 300 people at Risk Metrics, and ISS was about 600. So that was my first experience in an acquisition. It wasn't my first, but we had done a couple small ones before then. But it was my first large acquisition. And wow, what a learning experience that was. That could be a whole you know, two days worth of, of conversations to talk through that. But it was wonderful. And we continued to do some other smaller acquisitions. And then we went public. So I was part of a company that started with 100 people, grew to 1,000, and went public. And it was really an exciting time, ringing the bell, getting invited to the stock exchange. So, you know, those kind of feelings that you worked hard for and you got to celebrate. We continued to grow. And then in about 2010, we were acquired by MSCI. And MSCI, we grew there. At that time, I wasn't working closely with ISS. I was working support as a generalist, an HR generalist, which had been my track when I started at Risk Metrics. I was always in the generalist field, but getting to do a little bit of everything, a little bit of recruiting, a little bit of compensation, getting involved in benefits, getting involved in HRES systems. And really, again, when you work at smaller organizations, you really have to pick and do a little bit of everything. And then when we were acquired by MSCI, I 
started as a generalist there. My role grew actually under my current CEO, Gary Ritelny. I worked closely with him. He took on HR for a little bit and I worked as a generalist there up to the generalist of the Americas and supported, uh, was a lead generalist for all of the Americas groups at MSCI. And then when ISS was spinning out about five years ago, maybe we're even getting closer to six now, I've lost, lost cat probably six years ago now, Gary was looking for a head of HR and asked me if I wanted to join ISS and go with them. And I had had a close working relationship with him over the years. And we can get into that a little bit more, but I did. And so for the last six years, I've been the global head of human resources at ISS. When we spun out, we lost track of the number because a few of us went as to start, but we had to quickly hire people. So probably about 400 or so kind of spun out, but very quickly we grew to 600 with hiring, you know, what you needed to start a new kind of a firm growing up on its own. And today we're almost at 2000 employees. So it's been a a very (laughs) fast six years. Man, you've had so many careers in one career. Right. Most definitely. I used to joke around that even for a while, I still had the old phone number that I had. So I think for about 14 years, my phone number never changed. And my desk only changed because I moved in these locations, but it was so many different roles while kind of being part of the same core organization for a number of years. Wow. All right. So you just, there is so much to unpack in that background of yours. So before, uh, you know, I just want to be very clear that uh, you've already got an invitation to come back another time because (laughs) I'd like to dissect so many areas of experience that you've had throughout your tenure. So can I get a confirmation that you'll come back? Of course. Anything for you, Adam, of course. (laughs) Good stuff. Um, Cool. So so I want to get back into some of the specifics, but before we roll there, I I want the audience to get a better sense for kind of who you are. So if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about you. Are you uh, an introvert, an extrovert, or would you consider yourself more kind of in between uh, a centrovert or an amphrovert? I'm definitely an extrovert. It's interesting because I've met a lot of people over the years that I thought were extroverts, but they are truly introverts. And that was a learning and eye-opening experience for me because I thought if you were talkative and all that, it meant you were an extrovert. But I do have to push myself sometimes. Listen, you see a group up ahead, no matter what your role is, how many years of experience you have, how much you love talking with people, it still needs to kind of get yourself a little confidence before you step into a new group or frankly, in front of an audience. Even today, I I had a little nerves, little butterflies in my stomach, just uh, knowing I was going to share my story with some people. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. You know, it was really interesting to that point. Michael Jordan used to almost get sick before going onto the court each and every time. Really? uh, Yeah. I'm I'm watching the documentary a little bit now because as my husband says, it's the only sports on right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm watching it too. I'm a couple episodes behind, but I I can't wait to finish it. What do you do to stay sharp with so many things going on? It's so hard to differentiate the difference between busy and important. And a lot of people get stuck in the busy and they're really not seeing the bigger picture and doing what's important. So I'd love to get to find out what you're doing to stay sharp, whether it's physical or mental. Yeah, most definitely. So it's tried and true and kind of spoken often about, but I exercise. I love exercise. I'm 
not in as wonderful shape as I'd want to be, but there's not a day that goes by that I don't actually think about it, whether it's putting it into my calendar to find time, whether it's just at lunch taking a break when I'm in the office and taking an extra long walk and going through Bryant Park. We work in the city usually or wandering the streets just to get that perspective and to clear my head. But it's both physical and mental. I really need that time to think. And an exercise and going for like a run is a way for me just to clear my head. I love running outside and just seeing the weather and getting that fresh air, but it really does help me come back and focus a whole lot better. Great. And, And how important is that for you? Extremely. I mean, on a weekend, I will. I don't think there's a day I've missed because I know that's when I have a little more time and I, I don't have a work meetings scheduled. And even during the work week, especially now that we're home and everything's a little different and there's more anxieties for people and, and a different routine, I'm making a part of my every day. And if the day goes by and it's starting to get dark at night, I just say, come on. And I grab the family and I say, let's go for a little power walk outside if I've, if I've missed my running window. Nice. You're corralling the fam. And, I am. And, I am. <laughs> and, and you've got three kids. So how, how are you balancing everything? I mean, a very uh, significant role. Your husband's got a big role. How do you do that? I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there that need to understand how to make this balance. And if someone like yourself can do this with three kids holding this kind of job, other people can too. So if you don't mind, share uh, how you're able to do it. I love to share this and I love to share ideas. That said, I don't have the answer. I think (laughs) ongoing quest and and the day I do, I'll write a great book about it because it's something I don't think we will ever find the answer to. There's no perfect balance. And some days work is a heavier side of the equation and other days it's the family. And listen, my children are 10, 8, and 4. My 10 and 8-year-old get it. Just now I said, okay, don't come in the room. I'm closing the door because, of course, we're all at home right now with the pandemic. And so that's adding a whole nother layer to this work-life balance. Um, But it really is. It's trying to be present for the kids when I can. I'm involved in their sports and activities. I do not make it home for dinner every night, but I do make sure that when I get home, we spend a good hour or two when they're done eating to go through homework, talk about their day. And so we make sure we do that. And then if I have to get back on at night because something's going on, I will. So it's a little bit of jumping from one thing to another. I also have a wonderful support system. I have a mom and dad that live not too far. And I am so lucky that they help me out all the time. I think my dad, we had to get him all the hockey sweatshirts. He became the hockey carpool guy for us because Mm -hmm. both of us usually are in the city working and can't always make every single carpool. But we try and make the dinners when we can. And now we're, we're catching up on a little extra family time, which is nice. That's great. And I appreciate that, just that level of candor and honesty, because you're right. You just can't balance it. It just doesn't happen. So you got to pick your poison on what certain days. So I think that's a great share. Thank you for that. Um, So I got one more personal question before we get back into the uh, meat and potatoes of what you're doing and what you've accomplished. Do you have any habits, good or bad, that you'd like to share? Yeah, sure. Um, I probably have a, a ton. I am a creature of habit. And obviously, there's the obvious of brushing your teeth and the maybe bad habit of a glass of wine on the weekends or, you know. Who said that's a bad habit? Yeah, right. It's good for the heart, right? (laughs) But I would say my guilty pleasure, maybe it is, is 
the New York Post. I love reading the New York Post on my way in on the train. Again, I'm not doing that right now, but the paper actually. I have we moved out of New York City about a little over four years ago, and it kind of came with me. It was my connection to the city, and and you know even though I'm traveling in and commuting in every day, it just kind of got me started for my day. And, and uh, was a little bit of a guilty pleasure too, because of uh, enjoying some of the page six articles. <laughs> but the paper I love, and, and even on the days when I get caught on an emails on the train or a call on my way, and sometimes that happens, I try and say, okay, then I'll, it's my treat for the the end of the night. But with that, I'm a paper person, right? If you looked at my desk right now, I'm talking to the computer, but I must have like. 15 or 20 different pieces of paper around me. I have notes and lists, and I'm always constantly carrying a notebook back and forth, one for work and one for home life. And here's my list of what I need for the home, what needs to be fixed or repaired, and here's my work list. And I I think that's a habit that if you opened my cabinet at work, you would see old notebooks. And every once in a while, I'll go back and refer to something that I worked on or happened and kind of trigger what the outcome was then to remind me to learn from those things. So so my habit is uh, the New York Post and paper list. I'm a big uh, list person also, so I can completely appreciate where you're coming from. All right. You were talking about some pretty amazing things that you've done and you've been a part of. Well, let me ask you this. Would you say out of all the experiences that you've had. You were a generalist and you did specifically focus on recruiting. You've done benefits, things of that nature. Would you say that you have one skill set in particular, whether it's a certain function or maybe it's even just management in general? Yeah. I love working with people. I mean, I would imagine most people in HR would say that, although maybe if you're in comp for benefits, you can do more of the analytical side of it. But I love that my role every single day is different, right? That is the best part. For all these lists I make, I promise you most days I deviate and something totally new comes in. But the thing I think over the last few years that had you asked me this question 10 years ago or even five years ago, I wouldn't have said was, we've done a lot of acquisitions over the years. And it's not the acquisition per se, but it's the integrating people into our company and our culture and an environment, I think is what both excites and sometimes stresses me the most. It is definitely the part I care so much about because I truly do love our company and what we do and believe in it. And I, you know, I think, again, another day we can talk about all what ISS does, but We've been growing in the responsible investment and we weigh in on on issues of how companies can do better for their shareholders. And and all of that is so important. But bringing people into our fold and getting them comfortable, I think, is a big part of my role now and something I never would have guessed was even really part of HR. I didn't really see the M&A side of HR, but I love when a year or two, whenever after an acquisition, somebody turns and says to me, you really are what you say you are. And when they say are, meaning the firm, meaning ISS, and you've stood by what you told us in the beginning, and we are happy and we're comfortable and you've provided a good home. Because a lot of times there's some smaller acquisitions of people that have created these amazing companies and ideas, and we can just provide a platform for which their company can grow and and get more global in some cases. So I think 
I can't say it's my expertise because every single deal is different and every single company is different, just like every single person is different. And you can't look at one group of people and say they're all similar. Everyone has different ways of going things in different cultures. To make people feel comfortable and at home and have a long-term home if they want it and for their work, right? And for their places where they can kind of grow their work expertise is something that I really have learned a lot of and continuing to. And so it's definitely something that I've spent a lot more time than I ever would have imagined on. Would you mind maybe talking a little bit more about this? And I'll tell you why. I'd love to hear, I know you said they're all different, but maybe if there's a high level process on how you go about integrating some of these cultures. I ask selfishly because my wife is actually part of a huge integration right now with a big merger of her company, another one. And I've got two other friends that are going through something very similar. So I'm, I'm real curious, just my own, you know, selfishly on, on how, how do you do this? Like, I mean, some cultures are similar because maybe they're in obviously similar industries, but you'd be surprised, or maybe you actually wouldn't be surprised at how you can be in the exact same industry and have completely divergent cultures. So if you could just kind of edify me on how do you approach this? I know that it's different, but are, there's gotta be some steps that are the same whether it's interviewing the CEOs and understanding, okay, what's your culture, what's your culture, and how do we match them down to the systems themselves? I know that's a loaded question, but uh, let's see Let's see what you can do. <laughs> all right, all right, I'm, I'm up for it. All right. I'll, I'll try and share some of the, the similarities and the things, the steps we go through, but the best lesson I learned was it truly is different for every group. And sometimes the small acquisitions of seven people are more difficult than the larger ones of a hundred or so people because of how they're coming to you. And the biggest part I think of an acquisition is actually getting HR involved from the get-go. That is something I've always advocated for. And when I was back at MSCI and we were kind of joining a company, another company was we were looking at at the time I realized that when somebody presented it to me and said, okay, HR, here's this company, help integrate them. After the deal was done, it was about a hundred times harder than if you were involved from pre-deal and from evaluating the company. And obviously there's the, the regular evaluation of offer letters and compensation and are there employee relations issues, are there lawsuits, are there immigration issues and other things to kind of look through pre that would be obvious. But it is what you just mentioned, Adam. It's really getting to know the people as best you can before to understand, is it the right fit? And I have to say at ISS, we spent a ton of time on making sure anyone that joins us would be that right culture fit. It doesn't have to mean they're exactly the same by any means, but that the ultimate goals of, of growth together, the integrity of the companies is extremely important to us because that is the foundation for these individuals that will be part of your organization. So really most important is having HR in early. Also, because you're understanding how the people are coming to the organization. So are they losing money and they are just like thankful for, you know, a place to keep their employees? Are they looking for a way to help 
kind of exponentially grow their technology and they just need more resources. Or ISS is a very global company with 35 offices across the world. So in many cases, we can help, you know, in those ways, get people connected to markets. But the other thing that we've done at ISS, which I think is important, sometimes it makes for a little extra work for HR, but our philosophy is to then have the new companies become part of ISS. And so we do have legacy business names and and legacy groups and all of that, but really also trying to get similar benefits, getting everyone on the same systems, HR systems, finance systems, et cetera, getting them on the same performance management and looking at that so people do feel fair across the board. And then really starting to highlight all the opportunities this brings for people, Mm. the growth and, and seeing that. So that's kind of a little bit of the overarching, but then, as you said, it it is really interviewing the people beforehand and getting to know them, getting to know, as I said, why they're joining this firm or why they want to be part of something larger, and then going slow. You definitely have to get to know the people in group, their benefits. Even if you know, hey, I'm going to change all their benefits to ours, first, understand what they have. Because is it going to feel great for them to join ours or is it going to feel bad? And hey, if, if there's an outlier there, like, why is there so much vacation time? Ask questions on that. Maybe it's because there was a legacy kind of group that came over. Maybe it's because they work really hard in one certain season and they need other time off. So get to know all of that before you make the changes, because every once in a while, We'll kind of sit back and learn from these groups and say, hey, look at that flexible environment you have or working hours. That might be something we can bring to the entire firm. I really think the pre-deal is the most important time and then going slow and then learning what's there before you change it. Even if I know my outcome is to try and get people assimilated as close as possible, occasionally things might have to not. And occasionally you have to keep a certain benefits going or a policy or practice. So really taking the time to understand that and then getting the right people to help bringing the group in. It's so wonderful when you have leaders from these organizations that you can learn from yourself and they can help you and together you can partner to build a new, something even better. So I don't know if that hit on, hit on some wow. of them. <laughs> you did, you hit on. I mean, we could just dissect each and every one of those topics that you just talked about. They're their own separate animals. Let me ask you this. I mean, how do you know how to do all these things? You obviously, you wouldn't have been able to have lived through all of these individually. I've got to assume you've leaned on other people to know how to go about doing this. I'm sure there are some of it you won, like you definitely winged it, but do you have like a, I don't know whether it's a mentor or mentors or other people in the industry that you've built relationships with that you can reach out to, to get advice? Sure. Yeah. I do. And I met some great colleagues over the years. Again, we're all very close and and in contact and within the HR field, someone who, you know, Suzanne and I partnered together for a long period of time. And she's someone we still, we spent about four or five years, even longer bouncing ideas off each other every day. So I think that honed it for me a little bit because we, we had different ways of looking at things. But there's so many people. I would definitely say, though, my current CEO, Gary Ritalny of ISS, he's a great leader. And following his lead, and honestly, even 
he makes the time. If I say, Gary, I'm struggling with this employee relations issue. Can I just get your two cents for a minute? And he has just such a great sense. He, he truly puts people first, but he was been through many deals before. So he kind of had his own barometer of trusting, listening, looking at people, getting to know them. And then, but also being strong when needed. And he takes people and helps them grow. So I didn't know how to do this. I was thrown into the fire a few times, again, when I was being acquired, but at the same time had to help a new group come in and, and there was no one around. So I learned by doing. And I truly, I am so lucky that I have. I mean, the opportunities that were in front of me were such that I've always been striving. I do. I love work. I really do. I love my family. I love my kids, but I also love work and getting people settled and making sure people have a place that they feel comfortable to grow and challenge themselves. So truly it's learning by doing in most cases. And I think the reason I mentioned Gary is because he hit the people he has working for him all were in that position where he said, listen, we're all going to do this together. We're going to start this company. We're going to spin it out. In my mind, it's the best of both worlds. You had a 30-year-old company at the time, the leader in the space, but we were a startup. And so we all kind of had to learn by doing, how do you get an HR system in? How do you set up ways for us to onboard people? All of this had to be built. But if you can do that, then you can also bring in other organizations. So I think having that skill set and finding people that have that skill set is something that Gary does that they'll learn and they'll figure it out, right? So there's no answer. And we have groups that we've acquired from around the world, from countries and locations I'd never been to. I was born in New York and I'm, I'm here in New York and I've traveled a little bit. But in fairness, I don't have that huge global perspective. And I've had to really work to learn from people. And so it, it, it really is that. It is going to those locations. It's getting to know the people. But at the core of it, if you learn how to see a problem and solve it, it's the same thing. Learn how to put, up, put an HRIS system in place, learn how to build a company, get the right benefit program set up, get the right payroll system set so people can grow. And then create the right organization and, and management tools for all of them. It's the same thing. It's just taking it a step further and adding the whole people aspect to it. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> Again, in our round two, I'm going to start picking that one apart a little <laughs> more too. I got to tell you one thing I've admired in, uh, about you, and, and it's also something that I'm noticing is a consistent theme amongst people that really get it and that uh, get to the top is a level of humility. Again, you've shown vulnerability and humility in terms of not knowing necessarily all the answers or admitting that you really just can't necessarily have a, a true balance all the time. That's been consistent amongst the people that I've been interviewing that get up, that make it to the top. They move the egos over. Obviously, there's a, a sense of confidence, but they move the egos to the side and they admit when they don't know something because they see the bigger picture and they understand the goal. That's very something that I clearly get from you. So I don't know if that's something that's innate to you, if that's something that someone taught you along the way. So that, I mean, I'm, I'm a little speechless because thank you. That's such a compliment. I mean, honestly, and, and maybe that, that speaks volumes there, but for someone to say that, I'm almost tearing up because I do, we're all human and going through 
the different companies I've been a part of, the different companies we speak to and look to, at the core of it, we're very similar and we're all people. And I sent out a note to the company with this pandemic, my job has been focused on first get, working on our BCP, our B, uh, business continuity planning, and getting our employees who were 95% in office around the world. We have about 600 plus people in Manila, offices in Tokyo, in Austra- three offices in Australia, and then you know uh, all over Europe, and then New York, California, Oklahoma, Maryland, and just to name a few, and getting everybody into those locations was, I mean, none of us ever thought that we would ever face something like this. We could do BC planning day after day. We've taken down one office. How, how would you get one office out? We've had tornadoes or earthquakes or volcanoes or different things that have allowed us to run through these scenarios and be concerned, but never would oh, every single office go down. And so Gosh, I mean, if that doesn't teach you what you, you couldn't even imagine that you would try to know that, right? And, and try to plan for that. So I get humility every day of realizing, <laughs> oh my goodness, I have 2,000 people that are looking to myself and, and a number of others for advice and guidance and honestly comfort. And so I sent a note out the other day and I've been sending these weekly at least notes sometimes more often in updates of what offices are opened or closed or other kind of business related things with the pandemic and I got a little personal last week on it I, I told people I was having good and bad days and ups and downs and I, I shared a few of my suggestions and we've been sharing HR tips and working from home and all that but I shared a few of mine and Some of the notes I got back were so lovely. And I felt a little bit like, am I putting myself too out there? Do people want to see someone more professional? But no, people want to feel connected and people want to understand we're all in this together and going through it together. And I've had my ups and downs every day. And I mean, I think again, it's when I took this job six years ago and, and Gary took a chance on me and said, yeah, you, you're going to be my head of HR. I thought, well, I've never been a global head of HR before. I've been the head of America's, but not global. And oh my goodness, I think I spent the first year just nervous about it every day, <laughs> wondering, am I up for this? And I did learn on the job and maybe I wasn't quite there yet, but he saw that I would grow and learn and care so much for our people, which I do. So I just think I've, I've been lucky to be given some wonderful opportunities. And I also have to say, looking back now, I see all the times I thought I knew more and then I learned how I did not and how much more there is to learn. So I think it is a little bit innate, but I've also learned along the way that, goodness, you thought you, you could do that role. You thought you could do this and, and you realize, no, there is so much more to learn out there. And I've only scratched the surface. Ooh, I like that. I know we're coming close on time. I've got one more question for you before we bid adieu. Who's impacted your life? Has there been any one in person in particular that's had the biggest impact? Sure, sure. So from a work standpoint, as I mentioned, Gary has, he, he really is a wonderful leader and it's given me tremendous opportunities, not just this one now, but even previous to that when he kind of saw me and gave me the opportunities to grow. 
but it wouldn't be fair if I didn't say my parents and, and my mother and father. And, you know, I'm really lucky that they've been so supportive. I'm one of four girls. I'm the oldest. And they, you know, my mother worked while I was growing up as well as my father outside the home. And, and they taught us there's nothing we can't do. And there are so many times along the way that you question your path and you question what you're doing. And there are times I have been looking for an opportunity to go on a, a leadership event and I wasn't picked and I felt like I'm not going to stick with this. They're telling me I have no career path here, right? And my mother would be someone I'd go to for advice. And she just said like, don't be so short-sighted. There's a bigger picture there. If you believe you deserve it, then prove it. And, and I think has given me that push to keep striving and growing. And, and the lesson, which I would share for anyone, and I share this a lot with my team and, and others I talk to, don't let a day, a week, or even a month, a bad month kind of completely derail you. What's important to you? And she said, Sure, you weren't picked for this one thing. There's going to be a lot of things you're not picked for. Look at all the stories out there. You can find them all of very um, successful people who weren't picked. But how you deal with it and running away is not and going somewhere else and starting over isn't the way to do it. And the same thing happened when I had my first child. I promise you, I wanted to throw the towel in so much. Actually, the day I returned from maternity leave was the day they announced our company was being sold to another company. And I thought, great, there's the writing on the wall. But you know what? She said, Alexis, don't do that today. You have a lot going on. Go in tomorrow. And then the next day she said, go in the next day. And, and she was watching my daughter at the time, so allowing me to do that. And the best advice was that, just when you have a bad day, look at this path. The amount of times I questioned if I was on the right one, I wouldn't have been in where I am today, which is my dream role at a dream organization and really, I believe, helping to make a difference. Wow. That's impressive. <laughs> that is great. So for the record, again, I'm going to remind you something that we, when we started this off, you're coming okay. back. Okay. All right. <laughs> so again, thank you so much for carving out this time, for being so humble, for being so open, for being so passionate about what it is that you're doing in the organization that you work for. There are a lot of golden nuggets that are coming out of this conversation. So I'm sure we've just kind of uh, wet the palate for, for <laughs> others that are interested in learning more. So on the next episode, I'd love to talk about the whole IPO process. That's a whole animal in and of itself. Uh, yeah. Getting into some of more the, the transition, we can even start dissecting different pieces, but that could be its own podcast in and of itself. So thank you so much. Alexis O'Connor, <laughs> thank on. you, thank you. It, it is truly, it, it's nice to reflect back, and and again, it, thank you because this opens my eyes up in a different way to reflect on some of these things and and to continue sharing them with people. It's nice to do that, especially at this time. But but thank you. This is so much fun to chat with you any day. But nice to talk uh, in this professional way as well. Awesome. You make it a great day. Thank you. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise.